Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll and on with the show. Hello. Welcome to another edition of Short Bus Debate Club. I'm the guy sitting across the table from Darren Jolly. Hi. And my name is Brian Courtney. Um, that was a twist. Yeah, not the the usual intro. So we promised you guys um, a discussion on green energy, uh, the green bubble that is currently inflating. I I don't know. We're not going to talk about the economics in a whole lot of detail, but it might be bursting soon. I'm not positive. Um, so what, I mean, some of the shit, like everybody is saying, okay, uh, hydro, pneumatic, solar, all of these supposed sustainable and and renewable resources, biomass, which is fucking not sustainable or renewable considering they're chopping down forests in order to do it. Well, it's renewable in the sense that you can lay waste to an entire forest and you can replant it and then 100 years later you got a new forest. But in the annals of what it is that constitutes renewable, there's definitely some, uh, it's a very unique take on, you know, we're, 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 it's, a, it's a pretty loose term right now, I guess would be the best way of putting that. Yeah, um, and the thing that bothers me about, because biomass, so again, all of these things are great ideas, but we can't put all of our eggs in one basket, at least not yet, because the basket is fucking full of holes and, you know, our energy is falling out of the bottom. And none of them are actually helping us reduce our reliance on fossil fuels, okay, so like, which is what they're designed to do. Yeah, so that's like the, the good sort of like at least teleological starting point, right? Like, so you've got a dipshit that's a former vice president of ours in the name of Al Gore, right? And he, you know, I'm sure his rectal cavity hurt after... He got fist fucked, fucked by the Supreme Court, and uh, I thought you were gonna say <laughs> my temper. <laughs> I, you know, I I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility or imagination, but I don't have any evidence to either uh, support or uh, you know put that claim out there. But either way, uh, after the Bush was, you know, we we did not vote him in, into power. The the Supreme Court decided to count 300 votes down in Florida and just hand it to him. Um, hanging Chad. Yeah, hanging Chad. Yeah, like for forever. Like anybody that's from that time period. I mean, everything on fucking CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News was about fucking hanging Chad. You know, hanging Chad next to Gore's Nate or Taint. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> but. So either way, in, in the aftermath of, of what it was that happened, he, he was he had to keep himself busy, right? So he makes a 
some sort of a movie that I think he ended up getting a, an Academy Award for it or something like that, right? And I think they actually gave him maybe a, a Nobel Peace Prize or something like that, too. I don't know, I have to go back and look and see what that That might be right. I know the award thing because he got the best documentary thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if Al Gore got a Nobel Prize. Well, well while you're looking that up, so uh, the rhetorical disposition of Inconvenient Truth is you know, couched on the unsustainability of using fossil fuels until the end of time, you know, global warming, we're going to... He did. Yeah. What? Get oh, he did a get Nobel a, yeah. Peace what, Prize. What, what year was it? 2007. Yeah, okay. That's, that sounds about right. So um, there were two things that he said in that, and, and of course, when we get into the culture stuff, I'll, t- I'll, I'll rip sort of like these discussions apart a little bit more, um, but there were two quotes that he used in that film that... Uh, in his sort of like a, um, fear, you know, try to create fear in, in the hearts of people um, and then creating this alternative way of thinking about how to uh, move with regards to energy um, as a way of demonizing fossil fuels and fossil fuels, fuels need to be demonized on, on some level, but there's no doubt that in terms of scalability, we are capable of continuing to function with regards to our energy demands with them, but there are consequences for them. So, which is the main thrust of the discussion there. But he uses two two quotes in this that sort of like framed uh, my understanding of how he was trying to scare people into action, right? So the first one was a quote by Winston Churchill, and he says, the era of procrastination, of half measures, of soothing and soothing and baffling expedients of delays is coming to its close. In its place, we are entering a period of consequences, right? So uh, that was something Churchill said November 12, 1936. It was, you know, while Hitler was coming into power, but well before uh, Churchill had uh, been become prime minister in, in England at the time. But, you know, he's, he's obviously, Al Gore is trying to compare the environmental problems that were going on uh, or are going on in the world right now with the... Um, the existential threat that Germany was providing to to Europe at that time, right? Um, And that we can't hem and haw, we can't just, we have to really act and we have to act quickly, we have to act decisively and we have to just bomb full speed ahead, right? And uh, the second quote that he he uses, uh, it it was taken from uh, an Upton Sinclair book that he wrote uh, about his run for governor in California in 1934. The book was called um, I Candidate for Governor and How I Got Licked, right? So it's about that experience, but um, he, the quote that Upton Sinclair wrote in there was, difficult to get a man to understand something if his salary depends on, not, on his not understanding it, right? I mean, pretty straightforward. If you have financial interests tied to the continuation of a specific disposition, whether it's an industry, an ideological disposition, whatever, you know, if it ties to your fucking job, it's not in your interest to recognize the truth or the facts of it, right? Well, ignorance is bliss. Well, I mean, and and not only bliss, but it, you know, if your job depends on it, it pays a lot better too. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's part of the bliss. Yeah. I mean, you can do what, I, and and Al Gore probably has a better salary than most people. I think that he would be, especially after you when you went in, 
uh, Nobel Prize, I think they give you a million dollars. So, I mean, he was making some extra scratch on the side. I think that the inconvenient truth when they put the fucking movie out, I'm sure in terms of documentary, it's, it was probably gross as high as any, you know, one, one of the top grossing documentaries of all time at that point. Um, but the reason why I brought those up is that you have this rhetorical disposition, we have to act, right? And this other rhetorical disposition that basically was suggesting uh, if you're going to go to a scientist who's getting paid by a, uh, an oil or gas company and try to persuade them to look at the potential dangers of what it is that they're purporting with regards to their industry and scientific position and anything that would deviate from that through a different uh, scientific position or industry position uh, they're just not gonna, they're not gonna recognize it. So, um, when I started to look at the green energy stuff, um, and started to look deeper and deeper, and like you said, like, of course, wind is one of those things that we have, and it's gonna keep being there, you know, if you have a fucking, uh, water going from one place to another, and the water goes off of a, uh, like a spillway, you know, that creates, that's got potential energy in it, and you can utilize that to create, you know, hydroelectric positions and all those kinds of things. Um, the sun, the sun's there, you know, we can, it, it produces radiation and, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a scientist. Like I don't get all the dynamics of physics. I don't get all the dynamics of energy, but there are certain obvious truths about these things that are present in our daily life. Uh, but the big concern when I started to look at it through a, you know, a tighter microscope was that as the industry for green energy started to steamroll, that maybe some of the things in Al Gore's call to action and his condemnation of the scientists that were connected to oil and gas, it, it might be a little bit ironic and hypocritical as we look at some of the green energy questions. So, I mean, but we, I mean, but having said that, we still have to, you know, we got to come up with some solutions. We got to figure it out. So they started to try to figure it out with these different uh, iterations of green energy. Yeah. And I mean, dude, people have been using windmills for a long fucking time. They generally used it to pump water, to feed the fucking livestock. To inspire um, oh. random Spanish guys driving, going through the desert to become <laughs> knights. Yeah. Well, none of the windmills in Colorado. I, I guess you could, because then when you're, you know, fighting a windmill, you might win because they're they're smaller. But we might not be as quixotic as they were. So you know. Right. Um, windmills to uh, like make flour. Um, they made flour with windmills? Yeah, a lot of them would uh, turn the big fucking wheel oh, to crush. Kind of? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> windmills have been around for a long time. But now, <clears throat> we have these new big-ass windmills. And, and not just a windmill, but wind farms. Um like, so up in, in northern Colorado, there's an area that comes, there's a canyon that comes out of the mountains. And when that wind hits the canyon, even if it's not very windy, 
there's an airport on the east side and the wind will come out of there and blow fucking planes over the ones that are like you know parked just idle station yeah so they decided to put a wind farm up there now you're still not going to get wind all of the time no matter how strong it is um but I've got a couple of issues with with wind farms. And on the last environmental episode, I talked about it a little bit. And that is, you know, you've got huge magnets in there. It's it's generating electricity. So it's fucking up the land. So you can't grow anything around the the turbine. Um it kills migratory birds you know yes yes and and when you're talking like and i'll get into some more detail here in a, a minute but i mean they're building these huge huge fucking wind farms and you know if one of them that has say 10 or 15 of these windmills wind turbines is killing migratory birds then imagine what a wind farm that has a hundred or 150 or 200 of them is going to do um it's it's just outrageous but aren't those birds just a small price to pay for the energy that we need to survive yes absolutely um we don't need birds anyway fuck birds how important are they as long as they're not a keystone species it's fine um so let let me get into a little little bit of detail just so that you can understand what we're talking about so they rate these turbines by megawatt meaning that they're going to generate x number of of megawatts is that based on a potential or like an average or like how is it the potential for the way that they've put the magnet in there and everything else so as long as the wind is consistent at i don't know x number of days throughout the year then it'll generate this amount but it's it's in relative relative terms or absolute terms like it's just like it's not like they went and they ran them for two years no everything everything is relative dude and when you're talking about corporate america everything is relative to where they look better than they should yeah yeah, that, that stuff i get i was just trying to imagine in my head like uh if you're talking about like like the potential, like they weren't they weren't running any tests at first. It was just like if we imagine that there's a a, 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 a wind coming at 22 miles an hour on an average, uh, you know, of y amount of time for 300 days out of 365 days a year, this is what we can expect to get. Is that sort of like the way that they did the calculation, or they just do it like straightforward? Like, what would it be for the entire? No, it's based on again the the magnets and the rotors, and how many times the rotor will spin in order. I don't know how they fucking rated it. It doesn't say at a wind speed of thirty five miles per hour for forty five days. It didn't say anything like that. <laughs> like, but I mean, if they're going to throw out a number like that, I mean, it would seem like reasonable to... Right, but again, it's just based on, like, 
the coils and magnets and how much electricity okay. can be generated can be generated. Can be. Okay, okay, okay. So it's a two megawatt wind turbine. What's capable? Just a straight capabilities question. Yes. Okay, okay. Um, so just to, to clear things up a, a little bit, um, basically, oh, come on. So a megawatt is basically, have all this fucking electric shit here. Um, yeah, I know. Fuck. I think that Alex Trebek is going to come back to life. And he's going to die again. While so, this. A megawatt is essentially 1 million watts or a thousand kilowatts. Um, and that's pretty straightforward. So a light bulb is a hundred watts. Um, you know, uh, but then it, it gets a little more complicated than that because everybody's home is powered and they rate it at what they call a kilowatt hour, okay? So for every kilowatt hour, you're billed X number of dollars or X number of cents. Well, a kilowatt hour is the amount of time that it takes to generate a kilowatt. So it's not necessarily an hour, um, but if you've got a thousand watts running in your house every hour then you end up with 24 kilowatt hours in a day, in a day. Okay. right yeah. um so these wind turbines a lot of them are rated at two megawatts but they have some as big as 14 megawatts um I don't know if, if we want to jump into this right now or not, um, but another problem that I have with the turbines and, and really green energy as a whole um, is that they use a lot of rare earth elements. We'll get back to that. Talk about the numbers first, though, because it's important. Because you're talking about, so you've got a you've got a you've got a, a turbine that, that's there, right? Or you mm -hmm. have a farm, right? So you got y amount of turbines, which has the capability of producing z amount of you know kilowatt hours or megawatts, you know whatever it is that you're using in terms of your measurements. I mean, what what is what is a what is a wind turbine going to be able to do? In terms of, I mean, it's is it gonna is it gonna light up a city? You know, is it gonna light up a city the size of Cheyenne? Is it gonna light up a city the size of Laramie? You know, is it gonna light up a city the size of Denver? Like, well, okay, so I guess I can kind of answer that question. Um, here in the United States, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, over the course of a year, the average household uses 11,000 kilowatt hours. Okay. In 2022, the United States used 4.05 trillion kilowatt hours. 
that was 14 times greater than the amount of electricity that we used in 1950. Okay. 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 So that kind of will give you an idea how, how little these wind farms actually generate for our consumption. And keep in mind that those are just U.S. numbers. So, 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 so you said the turbines produce. What were the what were the megawatts that you said? There's two or between two and twenty. Well, there like there are some that are smaller than two, mm -hmm. but generally in the wind farms, they're going to be at least a two, mm -hmm. and some of them are as large as fourteen. Now they are in the process of doing this thing in the North Sea. It's a, a wind farm. It's called the Dogger Bank Wind Farm. And I think, if I remember correctly, because I didn't write it down, but I think the Dogger, Dogger Bank Wind Farm is going to have a total of 190 of these 14 um, megawatt Turbines. And that's a big. That's a big wind farm. That's a pretty large wind farm. But here's the thing: is that a, a 14 megawatt turbine is going to be like 853 fucking feet tall. Um, the blades on it are uh, 351 feet across. So, I mean, it's huge, absolutely fucking huge. That's like having just a skyline of fucking wind turbines. I mean, because that's a skyscraper. That's that's 85 stories. And because you're in the North Sea, it's it's optimal because you have, I mean, it's a, one of the nastiest fucking windiest motherfucking places on the planet. So you're going to, it's going to be pretty steady for wind. That's again the theory behind no, I, it. I understand. I'm just trying to see the positives in relation because when we start to hit the fucking negatives, there's going to be some. But wind still, wind still dies, regardless of where you are. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm sure that that's why they put it there is because it is windy, and I think another reason is that it's. Probably shitty and cold, and uh, people aren't going to be hanging out. Nobody so wants to a, live there. A, yeah, but if if you just think about okay, so let's say you don't give two shits about the environment and how that's going to affect sea life or bird birds the migrating or whatever. The, the or the only thing you care about is whatever it is you care about at the time, which is how convenient life can be for you. <laughs> um so if you have 190 85 story turbines in the middle of the fucking ocean, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that that fucks with small aircraft. Um it definitely fucks with things like helicopters and shit like that. I don't know what it would do. Like, I don't know exactly where it's going to be or how much area it's going to take up. But it could fuck with um, 
landing and taking off of even large aircraft. I mean, so take the environment shit out. You're putting us a small city in the middle of the North Sea, except not very many people live there. Um, so I don't know. I I was gonna jump into the rare earth no, thing, no, but no, you said no. no, no come no, no, back to it. To, I just wanted to fuck around with the numbers for a second to make it clear that, like, if you're gonna try to run, if you're gonna try to run, that you you're not producing enough with the megawatts that you're gonna be able to produce throughout the course of a year. Right. You're not even offsetting, like your relative intention to offset and energy demand is so limited. Yeah, but they're making billions and billions of dollars for GE. Yeah, so okay, so I mean, there's a, so there's a, there's a, there's a huge business side of it, but not now go into your rare earth minerals. Well, so no, well, not just the rare earth minerals. Uh -huh. Um, I couldn't find the specs for the 14 megawatt one because uh -huh. they're you know fairly new. I'm sure GE didn't want everybody to know, but GE's sales pitch is. That since they generate 14 megawatts, mm -hmm. you're not going to have to use as much fuel building them because it's only going to be one. So you don't have to run all these two megawatt turbines out there. But the 14 megawatt is so much larger. I mean, because it's 853 feet tall, the two megawatt one is like depending on the model, is anywhere between three and 500 feet tall. So at a two megawatt windmill, you use 1,300 tons of concrete, which means that they dig a shitload of aggregates. So there are huge fucking holes in the ground just for the aggregate rock to, to make the con concrete. There's 295 tons of steel, which means they're burning a shitload of coal to make the steel. Uh, 48 tons of iron, 24 tons of fiberglass, 4 tons of copper, 0.4 tons of neodymium, and I think I might be pronouncing that correctly, but... And 0.065 tons of dysprosium. And then there's a bunch of other shit too. But the, the two main rare earth elements are the neodymium and the dysprosium. So, but there's still the copper and the iron and, and all of that other stuff that we actually have to mine. And they're not using... like some fancy no fossil fuel using <laughs> tools in order to get that shit out of the ground and they're again digging huge fucking pits out of the ground to find the copper the iron and the rare earth elements are you suggesting that while they're producing these wind turbines that there's actually other consequences <laughs> with regards to the mining operators that produce the things that they have to produce to make them in the first place i am suggesting <laughs> that weird um so what are some of the byproducts and shit that, that, that it creates what, what are some of the offshoots well so and this goes for just about all of 
the green solutions um, because solar cells use rare earth elements. Um, obviously, the, the wind turbines do. Um, electric cars do. So let, let me clarify what a, a rare earth element is because when I first heard about them in the late 90s, I thought they called them rare earth elements because there weren't very many of them in the earth. Um, you were taking it at face value. Yes, based on the name. The, the term, though, is misleading because the reason they actually call them rare earth elements is because... Well, I don't, I don't know why they call them that, but the reason that they're so hard to mine is because they are so close in chemical composition that it's difficult to separate these things out. Um, there's a total of 17 of them on the periodic chart. Some of them are extremely fucking cool. Like there's this one called gallium. Um, it will actually melt in your hands. But the boiling point... Well, it's not like an m and <laughs> But the boiling point is over 2,000 degrees. It melts in your hand, but it takes that much to make it boil. Yeah, weird, so right? turn it into a liquid. That's fucking odd. Yeah, okay. Um, so there's, there's a bunch of them. Um, and they're extremely sought after because of their conductivity. Um, they make great fucking magnets that are super strong, which, again, is why they're using them in turbines, um, electric cars, yada, yada, yada. Um, for every ton of rare earth elements that they mine, mm -hmm. 2,000 tons of toxic waste are created. Byproducts, by yes, byproducts. But this is, this is green energy, folks. This is the greenest. Of that is energy. absolutely green. So I just want to make sure, because it wasn't a mistake what I said. One ton equals 2,000 tons. So you get one ton of something that's valuable to some people and 2,000 tons of shit that will fuck everybody up. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but when you think about like the, the rhetorical uh, arguments that were made against nuclear initially, a lot of it was about byproducts. I mean, it was about the consequences of the rods, what you got to do to deal with, you know, storing them in the aftermath and blah, 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 blah. When you look at the relative byproduct position between both of those, it's kind of comical that like, you know, and again, like I'm not making an argument. We like nuclear, we got to look at, we got to look at all these things by themselves. We got to look at fossil fuels by themselves. We got to look at the various different iterations of, of so-called green energy by themselves. And we got to look at nuclear by itself. We got to look at different iterations of nuclear by itself. Um, but it would be valuable for us to at least understand that these things that uh, uh, certain industries and certain 
particularly certain spaces, rhetorical spaces on the left, have become so reverent towards, maintain such a, like a fervent, you know, like a, almost like religious disposition, you know, towards their potential. Um, we need to understand that there are, we got to look at it through the, the, the big picture. We got to look at what, what the real outcome is, what the real, I mean, everybody talks about fucking our, you know, our carbon footprint. I mean, if a fucking ton, and what was the number again? 2,000 2, tons. 2,000 tons. And that, that doesn't even include, like, the shit, like, the boat that had to run the ore somewhere, or the trucks that mined yep. the ore to begin with. That's just That's the process right. of separating them out. Um, where where did they, where, where are most of them? being mined what's what's the areas so they're they're like really everywhere um the here in the united states there's a huge one in the mojave uh called mountain pass and the company that owns it just opened up a processing facility down in in dallas um i think it was D dallas somewhere down in texas um we have a, a rare earth mine less than 10 miles away from us. Um, but once you get the ore, most of it is being shipped to China because they can process it. So China has this mine for rare earth called the Bayan Obo. And they create 70,000 tons of toxic radioactive waste every year. How do you spell it? B-A-Y-A-N-O-B-O. And if you look up pictures of this place, I mean, it, it is just a fucking nightmare-looking place. Uh, up in Upper Mongolia, probably not too far from the Bayanobo mine, they were mining rare earth minerals and everybody started getting sick. Basically they had to shut four square miles down. Um, it turned the earth's crust into an actual crust. Everything was dead. Um, you know, no plant animal life. I mean, it was just gone four square miles for rare earth elements. And I, I want to clarify just to, to some degree that, you know, these people, just the consumer that says, oh, well, I'm, I'm green. I, I wear an Earth Day t-shirt and I, I, drive I, an electric car. I planted some stuff once. I recycle everything. Right. I buy, <laughs> I buy my coffee from Starbucks and they donate. Uh, 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 32 cents out of every coffee that I get to. And they make sure that their farmers energy. their farmers are treated fairly. And yeah. yeah. So those people. But those people also buy a new fucking cell phone every year. Um, and cell phones, while they are extremely light, have a, a large amount of rare earth elements because... Anything with an LED screen is going to use REEs. Uh, anything with R a flash. REEs. Yeah, rare earth elements. Oh, wow. Okay. 
You're teaching me some things right now. I appreciate. Um, and I'm so slow no, so any any computer electronics communication, uh, the government fucking loves rare earth elements because again the the conductivity of it, um, it it makes communications faster makes things lighter, does all of these great things, smaller. Puts a GPS tracking system in everyone's pocket. Correct. Um, they, so all of these people that think they're being green have no fucking idea that, you know, that new cell phone, their electric car. So you, you mentioned the electric car thing. So, uh, let's see. An electric car, again, depending on, on brand or whatever, because everybody has an electric car now, has between one to two kilograms of rare earth elements in it. In addition to the rare earth elements, the cars are actually because you can't say, well, how many miles per gallon does it get? Because it's fucking electric. Um, but, so, I only looked up Tesla because while I know there are other electric cars out there, Chevy Volt and, and all of these, it seems like every dumb yuppie cocksucker that wears a visor and gel in their hair and you know, if we ever have, like, direct conversations with these people, you're going to endear yourself to a lot of these uh, these centrist lefties. That's, that's for sure. So, so Tesla, um, Tesla, Tesla. Tesla, their vehicles run between 25 to 36 kilowatt hours for every 100 miles. A tank, a charge, um, will basically do 75 to 100 kilowatt hours for a charge. Because some of them, you know, you can go 452 miles. Some of them you can go 250. So anywhere between 75 and, and 100 kilowatt hours for every charge. So all of these people that are like, yeah, I drive an electric car, so I don't use fossil fuels. Well, you dumb cocksucker, electricity, for the most part, is being generated by coal-fired plants. Which, for those of you that don't understand what coal is, it's a fucking <laughs> fossil fuel. Well, and, and, and even if you make the absurd natural gas argument, because there are a lot of power plants that have shifted to, to natural gas, like... Natural gas is also a fossil fuel. fuel. Yeah, and and when you're when you're transporting natural gas in pipelines from one place to another, or uh, you know refining it, getting it ready to to where it can be work it into a usable form and all that kind of stuff. Um, when they have leaks, it leaks is methane, right? I mean, and when methane leaks into the environment, when you talk about what it is that's causing the greenhouse effect and you know that that's i mean it's funny because like so and and don't 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 worry 
people on the left that we're talking shit about right now. I'm going to talk shit about people on the right, too. Well, I'm sure some of them on the right are buying the fucking electric, electric cars, cars too. too. Yeah, yeah. So, but in addition to that, like, some assholes that talk about uh, methane, they, they, they make some sort of, like, asinine rhetorical argument that uh, people are saying the greenhouse, the greenhouse effect is being produced by cow farts, right? I mean, no. You know, I mean, it's it, there, there are these other things that we use that are causing... Um, problems and I and to be honest with you I mean like I know factory farming has a lot of like uh residual effects that, that affect methane I, I again I'm not a scientist so like and like part of the reason why we do this is because we go and we look at this stuff we read this stuff and we're, we're learning as we go too on, in a lot of ways but this this obsession with these solutions like electric cars like you know the other forms the, the solar the solar farm i mean the wind farms and, and you know we'll get into the solar a little bit more later but um we think that it's a solution by only looking at very limited parts of what it is that's allowing for these things to function in the first place it doesn't matter whether you're getting it from coal you're getting it from fucking natural gas you're not getting clean energy from a power plant if you're getting it from a power plant that uses either natural gas or using coal. Or even biomass. Uh-huh. Yeah, biomass is worse than actually than all of those. I mean, so. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, there are some power plants out there that are green because they're using biomass. And the original idea was to use waste from national forest trees that had naturally fallen or whatever. But in order to keep these plants up and running, they've created an entire, and, and maybe that was their intention to begin with, but they've created an entire new timber industry and they're cutting fucking forests down left and right so mm-hmm. that they can feed these plants. And when they're burning them, they're not, it, it's not like you're taking forests that have been dried out and are in, in, in a good state to sort of like get converted. I mean, you're taking shit that's basically living still. It's wet, which means that you have to use more energy to burn it, which means that, again, like you're creating this energy position where you're using this gigantic, gigantic energy position to, to create that energy position in the first place. So whatever rhetorical space that you're utilizing in your mind to say that you're offsetting something, you're, it's a, it's, it's a total fucking joke. And, and, and in relation to the electricity uh, stuff, like if, like, so, like, say you're using solar, say you're using wind, say you got these wonderful fucking wind turbines that are producing a certain amount of energy for the region that you're in, but then it just, the wind just fucking dies, and, and, and you got no fucking wind, but you still have to have a grid that's capable of functioning. What is it that, that, that keeps your grid functioning at that point in time? Because it's not like you have these gigantic cells that can store, it's not like, you know, we... Th- it was really windy for like 36 days straight and we were able to harness that wind and store it and we got it all in this storage place so that we can use it for one little, no that fucking we don't have storage capabilities like that sure there's some people that are working on it you know and i i want them to keep working on it i want them to i also want them to look at what they're using to try to try to do it so that unlike what we're doing with solar where we sort of bypass the fact that you take fucking you know crystals and you take fucking coal and you heat them at really fucking high temperatures and then turn them into something another one of those moments where we conveniently don't look at what it is that it's necessary for us to create solar panels in the first place but it's creating 
byproducts and difficulties and problems that are not good for our environment in the first place. So ultimately, when the wind dies, when the solar dies, in those time periods, you have to reach out to the grid and you're going to get your energy from, again, from coal or natural gas again in those moments. Well, and it's it's there the entire time because it's running idle. It has to run idle. Yeah. yeah, because if you restart it, then it ends up taking more fossil fuels to get everything fired up. It's like starting your car, but it's like starting a really, really, really big car. Right, to power a fucking city or a state or, you know, like the fucking eastern seaboard or the tri-state area or whatever. Whatever. Um, yeah, so they've got to... So it's, it's always on and always burning fossil fuel regardless of what it is you do. Um. So again, I, I I am not saying that green energy is a bad idea. I am saying what you just said. We need to look into it a little bit more. We need to do more research and development. We need to figure out how to, you know, maybe put an egg in each basket instead of putting all of them in, in the one. Uh, the fact of the matter is, no matter what you do, anything at too great a quantity is probably bad for the environment. Um, and, and the reason that I say that is because when I was doing my research, I found this fucking article on Harvard's website from back in 2016, talked about this new process for separating the rare earth elements and basically they boasted the fact that they could separate the rare earth elements through depending on how heavy they were either a two or three step process and basically they used something that was no worse for the environment than say citric acid or or a natural acid but if i take citric acid and i go dump the bag of citric acid on the lawn it's gonna kill the fucking lawn you know if i just dump a pile of citric acid out there coors coors beer has had two different spills that I know of throughout the years. Um, one of them went into Clear Creek mm -hmm. and all of the fucking fish died forever. Like Coors got in a lot of trouble with the EPA. The other one is where it burned the entire mountain and they call it Zima Hill now. Um, <laughs> because they took the fucked up environmental space and did a huge house development there to kind of like yeah. hide the, the fuck up that they <laughs> That they made. I'm just going to say, just on behalf of the citric acid stuff, there are instances where citric acid has great capabilities under certain circumstances. Super, super duper potential. I fucking love it myself. Um, but, you know, beer is made from fucking barley and, and natural shit. And, of course, you put it through this fermentation process, and so it becomes a little bit acidic. So if you dump one beer on the ground, 
it's fine. But if you dump 50,000 gallons of beer, it's going to burn some shit up and kill some fucking wildlife. So anything, the reason that I said that is because these Harvard guys are bragging that it's, it's no worse than, you know, a natural acid or the byproduct isn't. Um, but if we're mining all of these rare earth elements at the quantities that we are, because everybody needs the new cell phone and the electric car and all of this, um, then that still ends up being somewhat toxic. It's just less toxic than the stuff we're using now. And, and less toxic might be acceptable. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there because I think when you read that article, you think, great, they've done it. We've solved the issue. And we didn't solve it. We just made it a little bit better. Or, or, or we have a real bad habit, you know, when, we, when we're jumping from one moment to the next where, like, you think about things in terms of solutions and you look at them in the abstract and you have to get this massive amount of investment to, to create shifts from one type of energy production to another. Um, I mean, that's why I looked at that that quote you know i mean like they were talking so much shit about the financial investment in you know the fossil fuel position initially and it literally just seems when you look at like green energy or i mean i just wonder like this is where capitalism when it comes to like capitalism as an innovator is, is an incredible machine. Like it, it, it creates these spaces where people have incentives to develop and to grow and uh, to churn, to move. But there's this other, there's this darker side of it where once you create an investment position, like in Inconvenient Truth, there's this moment where uh, um, Al Gore's talking to Richard Branson. Well, Al Gore and Richard Branson are being interviewed by some dude. I'm not sure who the person is. And, uh, there's this space in the wake of, um, no, actually it wasn't an inconvenient truth. It was in the planet of the humans movie where they're talking about the influence that Al Gore had on the development of investment into green energy and how, um, all this money started to be channeled into these different development positions. And in the interview, Al Gore sitting there with Richard Branson, the dude that owns Virgin records and, you know, has his Island and, he's a struggler he's really had a very tough life that that poor richard branson fellow yeah but uh um the uh the interviewer says with all this you know this change towards green energy do you think that uh do you think al gore was a prophet and richard branson without even uh says how are you spelling prophet you know i mean so you have these r&d positions when i think about like patents like that when i see think about developments with regards to technologies in terms of how to get the whether it's the the rare earth minerals out or you, you create a new way of doing nuclear power or anything you know once you start to see investment in these um and you see money being channeled from the government to it and corporate investment and uh what do you call the um the venture venture capital investment um there's a disincentive to find a real answer to a solution. And like lemmings, we are running to 
you know, and I'll get more into this in the second half. There's a a book that this douchebag, well, I don't want to say total douchebag, Michael Schellenberg, I have, I have a lot of respect for because of what he did with the Twitter files with Matt Faby and all them. Um, but um, he wrote this book called, what the fuck is the name of the book called? Um, give me two seconds here. Now you can. So he's it. at least half a douchebag. Yeah, he's half a douchebag. Apocalypse Never, uh, Why Environmental Alarmist, Alarmism Hurts Us All. Um, but uh, he basically suggests that we're, uh, that there's like a new sort of religious, there's a lot of things that he says in the book, but there's this sort of new religious ethos that um, we're overestimating the potential consequences of what is that's happening in the environment. Uh, he's got a number of, like I said, I'll talk more about like what he talks specifically in the book, but he basically suggests that the, um, Rising sea, you know, rising seawater, you know, melting ice caps, uh, greenhouse, raising temperatures. Uh, it's not going to be as detrimental to the human race as, as maybe we, we think it is. And like he, he believes in the, you know, the the virtue of, you know, innovation and capitalism. And uh, he even makes a suggestion that we should go back to fossil fuels. But he makes an interesting argument about how we need to turn to nuclear energy. And again, like I'll talk about this more later, but he honestly suggests that that things can continue to go along the same path without having any like real horrible consequences. And I think that there's a level of uh, obnoxious arrogance to this. And I, I think that the point that he makes about what he calls them is a uh, Malthusian left wing environmentalists suggesting that we're uh, the, the belief is that there's been this V curve and because of the potential for environmental catastrophe, there will be this gigantic, you know, something close to an extinction level event where we would essentially all uh, almost be dying entirely and would start eating each other. You know, whatever, whatever that apocalyptic position would look like. Um, what do you think for being alarmist? And I think that that's, uh, I think that that's really naive at this point. I, I think that uh, when you live in a finite position with finite resources, um, you need to think about uh, your stewardship as a human being uh, in relative social terms along the lines of uh, making sure that you you don't fucking do something stupid like that. So when you start to measure your ability to create solutions, you know, whether you're talking about fossil fuel or green energy or nuclear energy or all these various different iterations, um, you have to understand the value of capitalism or the concepts that capitalism brings us, just like Marx did. You know, and it's funny because he talks all this shit about fucking Marx in the in the book, and when he does his little speeches about it, I, I don't think I think he's probably like most people. You know, I think he probably uh, read didn't even read the manifesto. He read somebody else's interpretation of a piece of propaganda that was produced to persuade the British working class to try to you know create a revolution in England in 1848, uh, as opposed to like uh, looking at the analysis, but uh, Marx definitely respected what it was that capitalism brought to the table. He just suggested that there were tensions that were going to create problems, that those problems would lead to further tensions and changes in the way that the system, because that system was going to be contradictory and fall on its fucking face, which I think after we've been watching it for, you know, a couple hundred years now, I don't think that he was probably wrong about that. But having said that, at some point in time, you have to be able to harness the innovation capabilities that capitalism gave us 
but create a balancing mechanism in relation to that where we understand that uh, once people get invested in a certain industry, a certain energy industry, a certain energy potential, um, if we start to realize what the pitfalls of those energy positions are, we need to be examining other possibilities. We need to continue to grow. We need to continue to think about it. We need to be talking about it dynamically, dialectically. Like we need to be fighting with one another, trying to find real solutions, not just allowing the fucking market and people's financial interests in relation to that market who are essentially only going to feed us rhetorical dispositions that protect their financial interests, uh, not giving us the full story. Yeah, just so that they can make sure and make more money. And, Uh, you know, if we go back to, like, the the turbines, mm -hmm. you know, I could find the stats for how big all of the the two megawatt ones were, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find the stats for what composed a 14 megawatt one. Because of what you said earlier. And it's because... You know, so if you're talking about the difference between 2 megawatts and 14 megawatts, then those magnets in the turbine and those coils have to be so much bigger that they're using so much more of those rare earth elements that, I mean, they're creating probably 10,000 tons worth of fucking toxic waste for each one of the 14 megawatt ones but because their financial position is hidden yeah it's it's a part of a patent they're not going to give us all the information and 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 because of the fact that if they did then that would be a way of admitting that the consequences of their financial position in relation to their production position is an order of magnitude worse than even the initial like you said that the the bigger ones are producing more byproducts more problems more negative outcomes that yeah. we are not allowed to look at because of the sac- the sacred cow of, uh, of R&D and capitalism. And it, it just made me laugh because they're talking about how, you know, they have to take fewer trips, so they're using few, uh, less fuel, <laughs> you know, when they, they go out there. But the fact is, is that all of this stuff weighs more, and it's bigger, so they have to use bigger boats. And the more you're whatever vehicle of any sort plane train automobile the more it weighs the more fuel you're going to take so you know the entire thing is is bullshit um it it, i think it is all about making money and so when i found that harvard thing I started calling and trying to find out more information. Elaborate so the Harvard thing you found that was the, the uh, that was the, the rare patent, earth element the patent thing. That you, yeah, um, the the process. Okay. So okay. I started calling because in the article they talked about how they had filed for patents, and I couldn't find the patents. I was on the patent website. I couldn't find them. So I asked a series of questions to the department that had developed the technology to separate these in a more environmentally happy way um environmentally happy it's, it was a green separation yeah i i didn't get the answer that i was looking for seeds and stems from 
<laughs> so um, she told me the the first woman I contacted said, you know, if I can't find it, I'm going to contact this office of technology development or business development or whatever. Um, so I decided to take it upon myself to contact them directly. And on their website, I found all of these fucking patents. I mean, they've got a ton of stuff. So one of my questions to her was, you know, have any companies adopted this? How much are you charging or are you, you know, giving it to actually make an, a positive impact on the environment? And I think those are the questions that kind of scared her. The second woman actually gave me the patent number, but she didn't give me any other information. Um, I couldn't find any companies that were using the process. That doesn't mean they're not out there. Of course not. Yeah. But I'm guessing they are not out there. Again, that's just a guess. But I am thinking that Harvard is charging a whole shitload of money for this process if they want to use it. And companies don't want to pay it because they're making billions of dollars selling their fucking rare earth elements to Apple or whatever company makes the drones for the United States government. And why why bother trying to save the environment? Because it's going to make it to where instead of, you know, making $120 billion, they only made 118 Concerns. Right, and and Harvard, because I wouldn't call them a green energy company, but yeah. Well, Harvard, when Cornell West talked shit about uh, uh, Israel and their treatment of the Palestinians, a guy that's got like fucking three PhDs and written a hundred fucking books and had worked there as a tenured professor for a long time, uh, they fired his ass. So yeah, I, I, I just the altruistic disposition of Harvard, I think, is pretty much the nail in that coffin is pretty well demonstrated yeah <laughs> now i did find out that at least on an outward consumer level or a, a pr level um they're trying to figure it out because so the way the process works right now is the mountain pass mine and in, in the mojave uh they come up with this toxic waste. Well, what they've been doing is they turn it into a paste and then sprinkle it over the desert, which I think is great. A toxic waste paste? Yeah. You paint the desert with many colored <laughs> toxic waste? Um, DARPA is working on a project. When And, you know, when you say DARPA is working on a project, you know that there are going to be positive results. Yeah, it's all, I mean, again, like altruism, like it's all, mm -hmm. when you're talking about the development of, you know, the the use of, of war, you know, uh, technologies and capabilities, that's really all about the love of humanity. So they're in the first phase right now of this project called Ember. And Ember is supposed to be a way to again separate these rare earth elements but they're using um i think it was bacteria uh, but they call it bio mining 
because there are these bacteria that live in volcanoes that basically sustain themselves off of eating the rare earth elements. So they're trying to use these bacteria to do the same thing for them. How that's going to work, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like the opposite of what they're wanting to do. They just want to eat around it, not the actual whatever. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, but they're in phase one right now. If phase one is successful, then they'll move, move to phase two in like 2024. Um, but again, it's so Where new. Where the fuck did you find that, dude? I'm a researcher, motherfucker, motherfucker. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I I don't know where where things are going what is coming next uh, you know i i think that honestly people are trying the thing that scares me though is that if all of their research comes up with some new process that actually works and could make a positive impact i think what's going to happen is they're going to just bury it well either bury it or try to make shitloads of money off of it and don't get me wrong i'm not opposed to making money and i'm not opposed to at least trying to break even for the time and money that you spent on the research Mm -hmm. but i think the markups especially since we're talking about a place where all of us fucking live and all of us have a fucking personal stake in i think it would be nice if they said you know what we'll make 10 percent on this or you know whatever no matter what when you construct an equation for how you make choices for a society it would be valuable at some point in time to not bracket the significance of survival of the species and the planet and all those various different things in relation i mean I'm just shooting from the hip here, you know, but <laughs> it might not be a bad idea to not just at least consider it, but like include it in that equation, make it a part of, you know, the balancing out those choices. So, um, there were some things I wanted to talk about that are definitely environmentally significant. Um, but we are at an hour and six minutes. I know we've been going an hour and 15, um, but I'm hotter than a motherfucker and I need to smoke. Is there any way we can stop this one? I don't think so. And uh, come back and then we can talk about the, the nuclear stuff and only whatever if else. Only if you'll allow me the moment of making the observation that as we talk about trying to create a nice balance for including what it is that's essential for us to be able to be able to survive as a species to make sure that uh, creating the space for us to go both and puff on a piece might have a certain measure of contradictory irony in relation to that too <laughs> but we never claimed that we were you know the the uh, the crystallization of the ideal type for it but we are pretty good at like uh, pointing out the inconsistencies inconsistencies on inconsistencies on a systemic level oh no I'm fucking inconsistent. I, I know that I'm one of the people that is helping to contribute to the fact that we're about to fall off the cliff, but I'm not contributing 
nearly as much as others. And we're at least trying to talk it through. Yeah. And I'm not pointing my finger. You know, I, I, well, I am pointing my finger, but I'm also realizing that I'm one of them to be pointed at. Yeah. You got the one going out and the three coming back and you know that the three right. are coming back for good reason. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I just, anyway, we will, we'll talk more and the next episode might be longer. Cause I think we've got more to cover. Mm-hmm. I know we've got more to cover, but I think it's going to be a yeah, lot we, more. We got, yeah. We got some thoughts, like you said, nuclear and I'm going to, I'm gonna pound out. Of, I'm gonna pound the shit out of Sean Sean Berger a little bit more. Yeah, a little yeah. Bit more too. because so. of the book and the the planet of the humans thing. You know, I didn't like a lot of the stuff we talked about in the other environmental episode. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff I did know. I didn't know that a lot of these companies that are you know supposed to be biomass are burning shit that they should not be burning. I'm not just talking about the fucking timber that they're cutting down. I'm talking about shit that is actually fucking poisonous. Yeah. Like um nasty shit, yeah. toxic shit. Yeah. And 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 the people that are like when you go and you fucking talk to them about it, like you go fucking talk to the Sierra Club about it, and they'd be like giving you some fucking hyper political response, you know, or like, so do you support this? Well, Hem and haw and hem and haw, haw, haw. Hem and, yeah. haw and that hem one haw. guy, what's his name? Bicken. Oh, my, uh, McKibben. Bill McKibben. He fucking, what an asshole. And They're like, do like you a... believe in biomass? And he's like, yeah, I burn a fucking fire at my house. What a douchebag. And he's the one that said in, in there, that's not what this game is about. You know what? If you make a fucking provincial comment to me like that in that fucking po- in that point, I might just, even if I'm the person that's filming myself, I might knock your Punch fucking dick you off. Punch you square in your yeah. fucking face. Yeah, Bill McKibben, you're a fucking sellout cockbag. Well, he might have been a cockbag the entire time, so he might not have been a sellout. Well, um, <laughs> if you were a cockbag before, you were a cockbag before. But whatever it was that you presented yourself as way back in the day, uh, you, you know, you should be embarrassed and you need to revise your position in relation to a lot of stuff. All right, people, we will be back for part two of this wonderful environmental episode on green energy. Short Bus Debate Club at yahoo.com. Roll, bitches, roll.